to another Philanthropy Plugged In podcast, a series exploring the intersection of technology, gender, and giving. My name is Jeannie Sager, and I'm the director of the Women's Philanthropy Institute and your host for this podcast series. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series created in partnership with CCS Fundraising. Lindsay Marzanak, Managing Director at CCS and a proud alumna of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy Sister School at Indiana University, the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, will moderate this episode. She is joined by the three panelists from the first episode in this two-part series, which explored using technology to tell your story. If you missed it, visit the Philanthropy Plugged In website wpisymp.iupui.edu and click on the Building Donor Relationships Online and Off tile. Lindsay, welcome back. Thanks to you and your colleagues at CCS Fundraising for being part of this podcast series. Thank you, Jeannie. It's truly a pleasure to be part of this series and to be back with our three panelists for the second installment of the series. Welcome back to Lena, Connie, and Dory. In our second series, we will continue to explore the intersection of technology and relationship building, really through the lens of individual donors and members. We'll be drawing from industry trends, including, once again, the Women Give 2020 research that the Women's Philanthropy Institute has conducted. Through this research, we know that to best appeal to donors, particularly women, technology platforms must continue to offer opportunities to build community and to foster in-person connections. More broadly, building on this, we know that people tend to give to people. And so technology is a tool to help leverage and utilize uh, opportunities for building relationships, but not to replace the human connections that we all can build with our donors and our constituents. So to really dive into this topic of relationship building through technology, love to welcome back Lena, Connie, and Dory. We'll introduce each briefly. Lena, we'll start with you. Hi, I'm Lena Sergi Attar, founder and CEO of Kerem Foundation. Hi, my name is Connie Falcone. I'm president of Northwestern Memorial Foundation, which is the philanthropic partner to Northwestern Medicine's 10 hospital system. Hello, I'm Dory McWhorter. I'm the CEO of the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago. Thank you. It is truly exciting to have you all back. During our first session, we spoke about the opportunity for exploring and communicating your mission and your story. Tell us about a time when you've used technology to either deepen or adjust a relationship with a donor or a member. And what role did technology play in that moment? I'll turn it over to Lena to start. I have two uh, moments that I'd like to share on this 
that uh, were really powerful in the last few weeks. The first is when we were able to bring our programming online in Turkey to serve Syrian refugee teens. And this is a very high-tech design-based learning curriculum that we've been doing um, in our Kerem houses over the past few years. The teenagers, as you can expect, are very, very attached to the place and to the program and suddenly they're at home and they have the, and, and we were able to bring it online after a few weeks of figuring out how to do so. And it was really touching that uh, one of my team members sent us a screenshot of one of our, the students' Instagram stories and in it he'd shown his um, phone's alarm and, and he ma he'd made a note saying, finally, I'm so happy that my Kerem house alarm is back on and I can go back to my studio and they were happening online. So that was a really powerful moment to show that the kids were waiting, the communities were waiting for us to be able to get back online and get back to business of, of teaching and, and learning together. And he was so excited to be able to set his alarm to wake up for the studio. So he really, that moment brought really home the, the importance of the work and, that, uh, and, and, they, and the kids need it, uh, whether it's virtual or in person. And the second one I wanted to bring up is one thing that we we are a global team. We have a, our team in the U.S. is mo mostly based in Chicago, but then we have a few remote workers, and then our team in in Turkey is in two locations. And so we've always been used to be working separately from each other. And one of the biggest challenges, or not really a big challenge, but a big challenge in our mind, was that we'd always had this idea that we wanted to have all team meetings across the three locations and across borders and languages and everything and we always thought it was too hard to do it was something that we'd said like it would be wonderful if we could do this once a quarter it would be wonderful if we could do it once a year to have everybody together virtually so that we could connect the team together and then when this crisis started immediately we realized how important it was for everybody to connect since everybody was at home and and suddenly we were able to have these all, all team meetings every week so every Wednesday we get on we're over 40 people even our board joins because our board a lot of our board members are also working from home and suddenly this thing that we thought was impossible we're able to do it weekly and and what we brought into these all team meetings we first started by bringing in guest speakers to work specifically on mental health and wellness issues that all of us needed to support us. And we are also doing um, programmatic updates from the teams to everybody else. But now what we're doing, and we just had one last week, uh, was one of our donors who works for LinkedIn came in and gave us a full, um, the full, a full seminar on how to use LinkedIn and how to update our profiles and how to take advantage as an organization as in, and as individuals to uh, make the most of this professional social network. And so what we're doing now is tapping into supporters that have this type of expertise in different technologies or different subject matters and inviting them on. Um, for them, it's a volunteering moment um, and it's a connection moment. And we're able to engage our supporters with our team directly in a way that we'd never thought of before doing. Um, and it's, you know, it's been, it's proven to be really powerful to have that connection piece as a team once a week, but also using it as a way to connect our supporters back into our work. And this is story. I, I feel like um, I have such kindred spirits on, the, on this panel, um, given that one, such great ideas, but I think also just such alignment 
around some of the tools and, and the approaches that we're taking. So one of the things that we're doing at the YWCA Chicago is really leveraging, again, tools that people have at their disposal. Um, so for example, uh, Facebook, um, we're using quite a bit now, um, I would say in different ways. For example, um, given the nature of where we are, we actually decided to do a virtual town hall um, where our members and donors could come um, and, and ask questions about, really, we were spoke focused on sort of our response and our activities. And so what we saw is that um, we got a great turnout and folks would come, ask their questions, and, and sort of help us sort of pull back the curtain in terms of how we're operating now. Um, one of the things that I think from a content perspective, um, while many of these tools we've used in the past, I do think that um, clearly the nature of the, the crisis that we're in is, helping us evolve the content, but also we're realizing that our, um, how much I guess we didn't share with donors in the past um, as well. And so um, we're able to do a, a couple things. We had, um, um, in addition to sort of having the town hall, what I decided to do is some of the things that we would do um, for our staff that we would also share with our with our donors. So um, internally, I post a video every Friday on Microsoft Teams, a two-minute video, really short and sweet, but just saying to our team, you know, you know, a message, whether, you know, let's keep going. Um, I guess last week it was um, we have a food distribution, and so um, I've been using sort of this 80s theme, and last week I did Don't Stand So Close to Me, <laughs> um, as at least I thought that was hilarious um, for, my, um, for my little video. But um, what I started doing since I've been doing it since March was also posting those on my personal Facebook page, and I was surprised um, how many donors and supporters that were just like, oh, I'm so glad you're doing this for your team. And it's nice to see what the, how the YWCA is doing these things. Because I think with our donors, we're so focused on, we want them to know that work is impactful and we're telling client stories. And so that was the first time I realized that, wow, they actually care to sort of see, you know, what's happening um, behind the scenes and how we're actually motivating 200 people to still, you know, meet the very challenging needs of the clients that we have and what we're doing. And so I think that, um, you know, leveraging technology to, um, to really show different aspects of our work and our business, quite frankly, um, to our donors has been something that we've really continued to evolve and, and focus on as well. This is Connie, and I think I'd like to share a, a little bit of a warning, actually, where technology can serve as a hindrance. Uh, we, and I'm not super proud of this, but pre-COVID, I think like many organizations with fundraising goals, we spent a lot of time focusing on closing the gift and probably not as much time with stewardship and keeping our donors in our donor family. And one way that we thought we were effectively stewarding folks was by sending them email invitations to events that we might be having. And we had developed uh, what we called our coffee series. And this was a series of speakers, you know, medical leadership, and they would, they would talk about various different topics. And so we would continue to email out these, these email invitations. And I had a, a phone conversation, remember back-end technology, key to tell you, you know, who you should be having phone conversations with. So I had a phone conversation with a nice 
man, let's call him Mr. Parker. Mr. Parker is in his probably late 70s. And we got to talking and he said to me, um, you know, it's been really great talking to you. And I just, you know, I, I wish that there were opportunities for me to come and engage with the, the medical staff at the hospital and to, to hear them speak. And I said, but Mr. Parker, you're receiving invitations to the coffee series. And he said, oh, but I don't drink coffee. And it, it was this light bulb moment that, oh my gosh, had we been talking and connecting with this donor base that skewed much older, that might not want to have a cup of coffee at three in the afternoon, we may have actually had broader um, uh, attendance at these events. And so I think we can't use technology to step in for stewardship. And there's just no substitute for picking up the phone now and again and really listening to your donor base. Thank you. This is all so important. What we're hearing is that we can use technology for communicating and building relationships both internally and externally, but that we always need to do this through the lens of stewardship and putting the donor or a staff member or a, a, another constituent in their, their needs first. We also know that we experience a varied level of technology accessibility. So how do you and your organization address this varying level of accessibility across a broad, diverse, and often multi-generational community of donors and members? Dory, we'll start with you. Sure. I think that um, we do have to recognize, I loved Connie's um, example of, um, you know, how people interpret things, right? And sometimes that doesn't always come across um, in technology. So I think that we have to really be open to using a range of what would be lower tech and higher tech um, platforms and, and processes. But I think you you already said this, Lindsay, and I know uh, several of our my colleagues have said this as well, that um, that content matters, right? In terms of what we're, we're putting out there and recognizing that um, what content plays better over which platform I think is really important to continue to reconcile that so when you take the the platform the content and then the actual user experience those are the things I think you really have to keep in mind in determining what's the best approach for people I think um, you know the fact that that telephones are considered low-tech now <laughs> is is fascinating but I think that we can't uh, we have to keep that in sort of our toolkit uh, or tool set um, as we want to reach out to people because it's amazing what a, a phone call will do. Um, and particularly now, right? I think that, you know, reaching out to people, checking on our donors and, you know, also doing it from the perspective of literally just checking on people um, and, and recognizing that um, you want to just acknowledge and their support and, um, and the organization is, is, is still thriving or whatever the case may be. But I do think it's just so important to leverage sort of all the platforms and all the different means, recognizing um, who's on the other side of that at every, um, every chance we get. I literally just dropped a note um, in the mail to um, one of our supporters who is recently retiring and um, will 
call them and check on them in a couple of weeks or so. But I just think that we just have to be mindful of every tool that's available to us and not just sort of naturally gravitate to those that we are, that are more in vogue or um, seem to be high tech. Um, because I think that we're also um, learning, um, at least in, in the work that we do, that everyone doesn't necessarily have the same access, but also doesn't necessarily have the same desire to participate in the ways that we want to sort of dictate to them as well. So I just think that we just have to continue to be mindful and balance all of that. This is Connie and Dory. I completely agree. And I think going one step further, we have to be accountable and help our donors address what, what might be their own deficiencies in accessing technology. Um, for example, what we've discovered more and more is that we're using these video chats, whether it be Zoom or um, we use Microsoft Teams. And there are donors that simply don't feel comfortable with these platforms and actually you need to walk them through instructionally how to use it. And I laugh because I said, you know, my last six weeks has basically been viewing, you know, parts of people's chins and uh, you know hairlines as we're trying to work through the video chatting. But we have folks on our team that we've designated as Zoom mentors, you know, people that can actually call a donor in advance and help them set up the Zoom function on their iPad or the Microsoft Teams and walk them through how to, how to do that. So again, it's really being focused on what your donor's needs are and helping them to address some of the technology deficiencies. I, I do wanna throw in one quick plug though for things like um, the Women's Philanthropy Institute and the reports that are out there. You know, really accessing external data to see uh, how people are consuming technology is really helpful too. So as you understand your donors, really understanding what the rest of the world thinks is the best way to communicate with that certain demographic. This is Lena, and I totally agree with so much of what Dory and Connie are talking about in terms of technology. I wanted to uh, bring up a couple examples from our work that have come up also in terms of technology and access to technology. So the way that we've set up our work in Turkey was, you know, creating these centers that have all of the technology within the centers and people can come to the centers physically and access everything. And what happened very quickly um, when everything went um, online and became distant learn distance learning and people are staying at home is that we surveyed our communities and figured out who has access to what technologies so that we even know from what basis to begin. And we found big gaps. And so one of the things that have been happening with our mentors, our team in Turkey that, that teach the, the teenagers is, you know, everything can go onto a um, online platform like Zoom. I think we use something called Whereby, which is a smaller um, room of uh, 12 people can be in it. And one of the first things that they realize they have to spend time teaching the kids is even uh, video conferencing etiquette. Um, it becomes, timing becomes crucial. Showing up on time exactly becomes so important. You can't come in early. You should be coming in late. It's very disruptive. How do you actually engage and participate and also just showing about how do you even use this technology was was something that that's a learning curve that we've been going through and then in terms of the actual needs and access to technology we found huge gaps where we've had we have a scholarship program and uh, for refugees and when everything all of the university courses went online suddenly
suddenly the people that don't have their own personal laptops were at a huge disengagement uh, disadvantage where they couldn't engage with their courses like they used they used to before by accessing the um, the labs in their in their universities so finding the extra needs that have been created because of the crisis has also become something that we had to, we, we never thought about that for instance because that wasn't a need and now it is that if we want our scholarships to continue and for the students to be successful then they need to have access to Wi-Fi they need to have access to having their own laptops to be able to continue their studies and that's something that we're building part of our emergency campaign and when we communicate with our donors and talk about these extra needs within that within the realm of its emergency not in the sense of you know a humanitarian emergency but more in the sense of you've invested in these programs and these are the things that we need to be able to continue them as we had planned and so that we can also continue our mission of building future leaders then people our supporters are listening to that and understanding that yes we want to come in and we want to give extra support because we want all of this to continue and it for it to be a success so these are the kinds of things that uh, we've been we've been dealing with and working on and um, just yesterday I heard the story that our mentors that are very connected with our students for instance there's some things that you just don't know until you have to communicate and get information on a deeper level and we found out that we had a family that had four students attending our programs and it, it turns out they have one smartphone in their house and so they were putting kids together in different workshops and we realized that we have to separate them out into different studios because they all share one phone. And so these kinds of challenges and needs even shocked our own team that work with them daily because those are the things that don't just become apparent until something like this happens and it creates this extra sense of sensitivity to moving forward on the kinds of questions and the information we actually need from our communities on an even deeper level. Thank you. And what we heard from each of your responses is that we must meet our donors and members where they are, whether that's the, the hardware of technology or their own level of comfort or accessibility with technology. And I'm curious, in the spirit of learning about your donors, how has technology allowed you to learn more about your donors? In particular, what donor or member information are you capturing by using technology that helps you to best approach and steward your constituents? Dory, we'll start with you. Sure, one of the things that, that we've found um, by capturing different sort of entry points to the YWCA. So that entry point could be whether you're a client, a donor, a vendor, um, is that uh, technology really allowed us to see that you could have a person that um, is a client that ultimately becomes a donor and if, perhaps if they're a small business, they could absolutely um, be become a vendor to the YWCA. So what we wanted to make sure and are still in the process of doing is looking across our different systems to understand the different types of experiences people have with us. Um, they also could have worked for us as, as well. We've seen that before too. And so what we're trying to do is to make sure that we can leverage the technology that we have to create a 
positive experience for a person, no matter how they connect to the organization. And so we are looking at different platforms that allow us to really get a holistic view um, that we can really track a person from being um, a, a client, a donor, a staff, a supplier to the organization at some point. And so that's something that we're keenly focused on now. And really, I think it's about, um, again, that experience because we don't want someone to work for us um, and have one experience and then, or become a client of ours and have a different experience or a donor and say, wow, they treat their donors really well. But when I was a staff person, I was treated horribly. Or when I was a, a client, I didn't feel um, I was treated the best. So what we wanted to make sure, which I hope is never the case regardless of where a person comes into the YWCA, but we're really focusing on how do we capture the different types of experience people can have with us um, at any time um, during their sort of own personal life or life journey as well. So we'll wrap our second session as we did with our first with a piece of advice for our listeners. So to each of our panelists, what's one piece of advice on how we can continue to leverage technology without becoming overwhelmed by it and without losing those important human connections. Dory, we'll turn it to you first. I think that you said it best, Lindsay, that we have to remember that at the end of the day, it's about the human experience and technology is just a tool, just a platform to get us there. So we still have to express compassion, empathy, um, and understanding regardless of, of, of if a person is a donor or a member or receiving our services, whatever that may look like. And I think that um, the mindset we should have is how does um, it enhance the experience of the person and not um, replace the experience um, or replace your sort of responsibility in creating that experience, that it's only a tool. And quite frankly, in many cases, um, thinking that we could use technology at this time to almost establish those relationships should be something we should be thinking about too. Maybe it's a good way to touch base, but I do think the work that we do um, outside of the technology matters as well. I would have to agree, uh, Dory and Lindsay, this is Connie, that uh, we need to keep humanity as our North Star. And one of the things that's been so valuable with technology now is um, all of the, the clinicians, the medical experts will tell you that during this crisis in particular, we have a need for human connection. And by connecting with others, we actually maintain better physical and mental health. And so technology now is such an incredible asset to all of us to ensure that we are maintaining that level of connection. And we just need to remember as folks that are fundraisers never to use it as a crutch that um, again, we just need to lead with humanity. This is Lena. I definitely want to echo Connie and Dory, and uh, I completely agree. One of the things that, you know, even in our work before the crisis has been, we focused a lot on the idea of technology just being a tool and not a solution to the problem. And I think right now we're seeing that even more. So it's really important to use the technologies, whatever it is, from the handwritten note all the way to the virtual benefits 
that we should be using technology just to, as Connie said, to really reinforce our North Star, to be authentic to our mission, to have that authentic kind of communications. And don't forget to be very creative. It's also becoming a very um, crowded space out there with the different kinds of things that everybody's kind of trying out to, at the same time. So, you know, try to think outside the box and think in simpler ways of how do you actually engage with people, whether it's your team or it's your communities that you serve or it's with your supporters, engage with them. And you'll be surprised at the, the simplest gestures actually have a massive impact on people because everybody just wants to feel that uh, feeling of belonging and feeling of interconnectedness right now more than ever. So just, you know, think about, I think a lot about at the other end of this, we want to look back at this period and see, did we actually follow our own values? And what, would, what, does, what, what do our actions during that period say about our work and who we, how we responded to our teams and our, and, and, and our community's needs and to our supporters? And, and that those are the kinds of things that should be guiding every decision. Thank you all so much. And to borrow Connie's phrase, we know that as we all look to keep humanity as our North Star, we can look to each of you, Dory, Lena, and Connie, to help lead the way and showcase best practices. Thank you so much, not only for your time today, not only for your insights, but for the amazing work that you do every day in your communities and to advance the important missions that you work to uphold. Thank you to the Women's Philanthropy Institute for hosting this podcast series, and thanks to the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy for the amazing research and work through the Women's Philanthropy Institute and beyond. It's been a pleasure. We hope everyone has enjoyed the two-part series, and we hope that you all are able to utilize technology in your own pursuits to build and grow relationships. What a wonderful conversation. Thanks to each of you for deepening our understanding at the inter intersection of the technology and relationship life cycle. You have brought new insights about the role technology plays in fundraising. I know our listeners have picked up a few good ideas to implement. We are grateful to CCS Fundraising for your partnership in this project. This episode is part of WPI's Philanthropy Plugged In podcast series, exploring ideas around technology, gender, and giving. Please check out the Philanthropy Plugged In website at wpisymp.iupy.edu for more information about our activities and other podcasts in this series. For Philanthropy Plugged In, I'm Jeannie Sager. Thank you for listening. Philanthropy Plugged In is a production of the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Music is provided by Localize.